Are you a real know-it-all? Do you annoy your family by shouting the answers while watching Jeopardy? Do you drive people crazy when you start a sentence with, well, actually? Well, guess what? You can go fact yourself. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Go Fact Yourself, the show where we take the smartest people we know and make them look dumb. And then smart again. I'm Helen Hong. And now, socially distancing from our homes in Los Angeles, here's our moderator, J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Helen Hong. Very nice to see you. How are you? I'm good. I'm shopping around for a second dog. Well, hello. A little little friend for Dodger? Yeah, a little sibling for Dodger. How is that going? Um, well, it's going. <laughs> Say no more. <laughs> I got Dodger from the L.A. city shelter system, mm-hmm. like the city pound, essentially. But apparently during the pandemic, they're not even allowing you to meet the dog before you commit to adopting the dog. Wow. And I'm now, like, what if the dog is wearing a mask? You know, I, 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 don't, I don't think they've made an ex- exception for that. Oh, no. Um, okay. Even doggy masks. So you just have to un- take your dog sight unseen or cuddle yes! uncuddled? Yes! That seems I ridiculous. know. It's crazy. I feel like it's just setting people up for failure. But, right. you know, at the same time, I kind of – I understand they're trying to keep their employees safe. Of and, course. Yes. And keep people safe. But I have the added complication of, like, this new dog needs to get along with my current dog. Right. Can the um, dog visit the other dog? <laughs> Should I just send Dodger yes, into the shelter and be like, be back like, in 10 minutes? Just say, go tell find me, a friend. <laughs> tell that, me how it goes. That's why I met most of my friends as a child. Well, Helen, <laughs> I may have an opportunity to do something about that because speaking of the LA city system, I am actually going to be running for office. Are you really? I am running for a position on my neighborhood council. For those who don't know, the Los Angeles city has, you know, has the official city council, the elected, you know, paid officials and all that. But then there's about a hundred different neighborhood councils where uh, anyone can uh, volunteer who has a, a stake in the neighborhood as either a, a resident or someone who works there or, or, or whatnot. I've been really interested in the work that they do, and I was asked to run for my uh, mid-city west at-large uh, council seat, and so I will be doing that uh, by the time people are hearing this as of now, and uh, the election is in March. So um, I will be running on a platform of let people meet dogs. Yes. Yes, Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate You have my vote, J.K. Oh, I'm so thrilled. Well, if any (laughs) of our listeners uh, live uh, in the Los Angeles area and have a stake in the Mid-City West area, which is everything from like Beverly Fairfax to the Beverly Center to uh, basically anything that's not West Hollywood, but it's in the West Hollywood area, uh, and you're interested in finding out more about it, you uh, you can check out my Twitter at J underscore Keith, and I'm sure I'll have information there. I hope I win. Not because I expect to get paid anything because it's a volunteer position, but because I actually want to uh, maybe affect some change, uh, uh, both dog and non-dog related. <laughs> Vote for Jay Keith. Vote for Jay Keith. Yeah, I have the endorsement of, of the co-host of my podcast. What more do you need? <laughs> Today on Go Fact Yourself, two guests will compete to answer questions about facts they know, facts they might not know, and frankly, facts they should know. Plus, we'll meet actual experts on two very different topics. And finally, we'll declare one of our guests the winner of today's show. Let's get started and meet today's guests. Helen, who are they? They are the Grammy and Oscar-winning songwriting team from Frozen, Frozen 2, Coco, and more. It's Kristen Anderson Lopez and Robert Lopez. Hello, Kristen and Robert. Hello, Keith. How are you? Hello, Helen. Very well. Thank you so much for being here. It's wonderful to see you. Actually, it's wonderful to see you again. You guys were kind enough 
up to be experts on episode 61 of our show for our guest, Rachel Bloom. Now you are guests. We really appreciate that. How the mighty have fallen. <laughs> <laughs> that was the highlight of our spring, and now this is the highlight of our fall. Oh, that's terribly, terribly sad. <laughs> These um, are sad times we live in, Jay Keith. <laughs> they are. For us, this is one of the highlights of our of our. Uh, As Kristen was saying, like this is uh, the way we date now. We go on podcasts. We go on podcasts. Oh, that means I'm dating a lot. You're you are <laughs> you are dating. I'm just you're out I there. I'm just dating around. <laughs> you two have worked together for a long time. Uh, this, of course, will be a friendly but a a competition nonetheless. Have you competed before, either either for gigs or uh, anything else? Um, actually, well, we compete all the time, every day, all day. I think it's part of the fire. But yeah, songwriting is competitive. <laughs> there, <gasps> we're both up for awards in the same season. Me for a very mm. small acapella off Broadway musical, and him for the Book of Mormon. So, oh gosh! Um, <laughs> but the cool thing was, one award we both lost to someone no one was expecting. So it was a that one that yes, was good we both for our got marriage. to feel like losers together. Um, <laughs> who who did you? Was it someone notable? We lost to our friend Adam Matthias, who wrote the book for. It was New, called New Sea Rock, Rock City. Sea Rock City. Oh, nice. Uh, last time you were here, you talked about that you were going to be in the documentary called Into the Unknown that was on Disney+. Plus, and I started watching that uh, this week, and I watched all six episodes <laughs> in about a day and a half. <laughs> it is fantastic. It's such a great glimpse into how the creative process works. And it was also so interesting to me because as much as I think I know about how songwriting works and how musicals work, I had no idea how much you have to do after you write the songs. Oh, yeah. Uh, just, just seeing all of these demos that you do and being there for the actors recording and the orchestra recording and looking at storyboards and all that and so many meetings. And every step of the way, every time you record it, you have to mix it. And every, every decision you make could mess it up forever. Mm. That's how Bobby looks at it. Um, Bobby's like, this could ruin everything. Why would and, we do this? I, it can only hurt me. And I, I, I tried to, to always remember, remind him, like, we're plusing it. This is the fun part. No, where, it's true. Where we yeah. bring the actors in That's and they learn. make it better. Yeah, yeah you, you have yeah. to sort of go backwards to go forwards, and it always gets better. It's yeah. Like a lot of people, I'm fascinated by how you two work together in, in coming up with these songs. I read an interview with Christian where you said that any line that sounds like it could be sung in a drag queen bar comes from Robert. (laughs) Well, Bobby's got a really poetic heart. I mean, I like to think that we both do, but Bobby can really go sometimes to that purple place, um, especially Mm. with Mm. Elsa. I I don't know where it comes from. I mean, but I I, I do enjoy it. It's nice to stretch out. I mean, I'm such a mild-mannered person normally, and it's nice to to become someone else. And Elsa's, mm. you know, as good as anyone to to be now and again. Wait, what's the purple place? So like the snow glows white on the mountain tonight, not a footprint to be seen. A kingdom of isolation and it looks like I'm the queen. Bobby wrote that line. <laughs> yeah, we had some pedestrian line. I was like it's got to be it's got to have some, some zazz. Right. Yeah. Um, Your version was like, "Wow, it's cold out." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I love that about him because I I tend to I tend to try and go to some place that really will um, just hit to the emotion. You're like the cake, and Bobby's the frosting. Sometimes, yeah. I mean, but then we then we'll shift. On I mean, I'm normally. Yeah. I mean, I'm the I'm the introverted straight man, 
And um, usually I don't get to, to have all the fun. Usually Kristen's... Oh, that's interesting. So, so it's not just a creative outlet. It's really sort of a, an emotional I outlet. I think so. Well. Yeah. I mean, that's what that's, yeah, that's, that's the whole point. Playing piano, yeah. singing, going crazy. Well, I have to ask about one line from Let It Go that I, I love, and I meant to ask you about this last time. It's the line, my soul is spiraling in frozen fractals all around. And just the math nerd in me loved that <laughs> there's a song about ice and snow and shapes and and you got the alliteration in of frozen fractals. Uh, where did that line come from, if you remember? Well, I I think I came up with frozen fractals, um, and I knew about fractals because of Jurassic Park. I mean, obviously, <laughs> oh. I had hit fractals in math class because I was a, a yeah. math geek. And of- my friend at Yale had written a paper on um, every breath you take by Sting, using fractal geometry to analyze the structure of the song. Which was what? complete and utter BS. Is this is, is this John Yeager? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, John Yeager now is on the faculty at Juilliard. Yeah, wow, wow. And he, gets, he gets a shout out on uh, Let It Go. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> Bob, you've said that one of your specialties is song placement, so sort of deciding when a character should sing. How how do you determine a good spot for a song? And like, how how did you decide, for instance, that Elsa needed to sing Let It Go there? That one we've talked about a lot because it it was a perfect moment for a song to happen. We rejiggered the whole story. We changed one princess's character for the other. So we made Mm -hmm. Elsa the one who was, uh, you know, had been bottled up and was uptight. And then we realized this one moment where her secret comes out and she's completely devastated. And we're like, that has to be a song because it Mm -hmm. has so much emotional heat around it. Something happens. The character makes right. a decision. It's just right. emotional. like that. They go from one place to the other. Yeah. That, that's yeah, a song. Exactly. It goes from one place to another. Yeah. Uh, last time you were here, you just started working on a new project. It's a live version of The Print and the Dressmaker. Have you still been able to continue to work on that during the pandemic times? And where, where is that in production? We have. We worked on songs all summer. Um, Amy Herzog is doing the script. And um, she, we just had drinks on the roof to celebrate her finishing <laughs> um finishing the script and we had an amazing meeting with Mark Platt from the Dear Evan Hansen set he was calling Um, and and now we're now we're moving into um, giving it into the studio we're going to try and squeeze in some kind of workshop or something like that although it's hard to do in during COVID times I'm not sure how it's going to happen we might have to wait until Things are a little bit more back to normal. I don't even know. Everybody's singing at each other from seven <laughs> feet away. Singing is the best <laughs> yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah, it really is kind of awful that like that's among the worst things you can it do. It really is. It just spreads <laughs> to, that to, virus. Spread. <laughs> yeah, is to sing. It's 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 so it seems so extra cruel. You know, maybe that's this. another idea for a musical. It's a horror musical yeah. about about a virus. About that a virus that spreads. <laughs> yeah. 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 Last thing I want to ask you about, uh, we are recording this at a time where you were not allowed to talk about this yet, but right. this episode will drop when you can. So tell us about this other project that you're doing in the Disney family. It's called WandaVision. I guess it's out now, quote unquote. Yeah, the, sorry, the great thing was when we um, Marvel called us to, to work on WandaVision, we had just finished Frozen 2. It was this epic, long process of trying to get story right in song. And then WandaVision came along and it's it's six uh, theme songs from the golden age of television that we're trying to do homage to, and this this oh, this was just the most fun we've ever had. This was right up my alley because 
I watched a lot of TV, as it turns out, in the 80s. A lot of TV. The, the hardest one was the 90s because we were in college in the 90s. We didn't watch a lot of TV. So right. That was the one we actually had to do research for. And, and it was the last thing that we recorded, and it was the hardest one to get. Not a bad gig, though, when, you're, when your uh, hardcore research involves watching TV themes. <laughs> Seriously, it was so, so much fun. That's really great. Well, we'll listen for that, and that's available where on? Is that it's going to be on Disney+. Plus. Plus. It is on right. Disney Plus. It has been. It is on Disney Plus. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I've probably watched it by now, and I'm sure I enjoyed it. Uh, well, it's wonderful to have you both back. We appreciate your being with us. It's Kristen Anderson Lopez and Robert Lopez. Thanks so much, y'all. Thank, Thank you. you. All right, Kristen and Bobby, we ask each of you to provide us with a few topics outside your field of work in which you leave some expertise. Kristen, you said you know a lot about religious musicals from the 1970s and 80s. TV commercial jingles that aired in the tri-state area from 1981 to 1986. <laughs> and for some reason, this seems to go with those symptoms of schizophrenia. <laughs> Whereas Bobby, you said you know a lot about the TV show Mystery Science Theater 3000, oh, yeah. the making of the movie The Godfather, and the history of hamburgers. Later on, we're going to ask you some in-depth trivia questions about one of these topics. But first, we're going to get your thoughts on something you might know nothing about. It's time to split some hairs with our What's the Difference round. We'll have one question for each of you, each worth up to two points. If either of you gives an incorrect answer, the other person has a chance to steal. Your topic today, number two. First up is Kristen. Kristen, your question comes from a listener. Who is it, Helen? It's from James Callen of Washougal, Washington. Listeners, if you would like to submit a suggestion for our What's the Difference round, go to gofactyourpod.com and click on Get Involved. Thank you, Helen, and thank you, James. I believe this is James Callen's third contribution to the What's the Difference round. Thank so you, James. That very much. Ooh, yes. James. All right. Kristen, in the topic of number two, while they both are the number two person to have the name, what is the difference between someone who has the suffix junior after their name and someone who has the suffix the second? Junior or the second? Okay, I'm going to guess that junior always comes directly in line. So directly in line from the father with the same name. But that the second, okay. there could be a generation where there has been um, a gap where, where, you know, for instance, the kings, that when there's a King William followed by a King John, mm -hmm. and then there's another William, then that William is the second. Okay, we've got Kristen's answer. Bobby is nodding. I think that might mean he agrees, but let's see uh, if you want to give a different answer, Bobby. What do you think? Well, I, I think I agree with Kristen, but, I, but I'll try a different answer too. I, I think maybe okay. it could be that you, are, you start out as junior, and then if you name your child the, sec the same name, then they become the third and you become the second. Oh, okay. So retroactively, you go from junior to second. Very, very interesting. All right. Well, this segment is disappointing its parents. Let's go to Helen <laughs> Hong at the judges table for the facts. Here are the facts. In both cases, the first, middle, and last names should match exactly with the person who had the name first. But the difference is a junior is named after their parent, usually the father, a the second is named after someone else in the family, like a grandfather or uncle. That's right. Now, while it's mostly men who use these suffixes, women can also be a junior or the second. It's just much less common since women often change their last names after marriage or hyphenate, like, for instance, Kristen Anderson Lopez. Uh, despite kids teasing me, by the way, I am not J. Keith Van Stratton III. <laughs> Helen, how did they do in that? I think Kristen Anderson Lopez got both points on that one. I think she did as well. Congratulations, Kristen. Two Yay. points for you. Smash the patriarchy. Uh, yeah, so I was just thinking Indeed. patriarchy, patriarchy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, I think the answer to most of our what's the differences could be patriarchy. patriarchy. <laughs> yes. 
All right, up next in the topic of number two is Robert. Robert, while both might make it easier to make a number two, <laughs> what is the difference between a laxative and a stool softener? Well, I don't, I don't want to talk about it that yeah, in depth, but okay. that graphically. We, I think we all appreciate that. <laughs> um, yes. But I would imagine that a laxative allows the stool to pass more, more easily through the bowels, whereas mm-hmm. a stool softener actually softens the stool itself. Okay. We have uh, Bobby's answer. We don't know yet if he's entirely correct. Kristen, what do you think? I'm going to put a little more science into this, which is um, what, because I've actually looked Not this fair. up. I have looked this you, up. You have looked this up. Now, was this, this, is, was this for a song? This is practical information. I did write a song called, I did once write a song called Everything Comes Down to Poo. You did. For the Scrubs musical. That is true. Oh, wow. But he was not pregnant, so he did not need to know the difference between a laxative and a stool softener the same way I did, because one was okay. more dangerous than the other. Milk of magnesia is the one that causes you to absorb <laughs> the water from your body into your colon and everything gets out. So, And that is a laxative. So uh-huh. I'm going to say the stool softener is works on a different level than that. Okay. So you're saying the laxative allows your body to absorb more water. That's correct. And that the stool softener is working in a uh, different that's in a different in way. In a different way. On another level. On another level. Okay. <laughs> Got it. Well, this segment is going down the toilet. Let's go to <laughs> Helen Hong at the judge's table for the facts. Here are the facts. A laxative helps make you go. It can do this by helping your body make more lubricant by adding bulk to the stool to stimulate your body to get things moving, or by including a stimulant that literally gets your intestines moving, and some do a combination of these. A stool softener is a type of laxative called an emollient laxative. Ooh. It adds moisture to the stool, making it less hard and easier to pass. And, uh, and gross. Yeah. It's yes, all yeah, really gross. gross. Yeah, it's gross. all really gross. And yet learning can be gross sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's right. Stool softeners are actually the mildest and most common form of laxative and are usually used in over-the-counter treatments for mild temporary constipation. Now, you don't want to use any laxative regularly, although if you're regular, you won't need to. <laughs> Helen, how did our guests do on that? I think, Robert, you got one point for saying stool softener actually softens the stool itself. <laughs> yes. Oh, so that's brilliant. A, very, very clever how you figured that real out. Real cheap um, win there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I don't know if you quite got laxative. You did say it allows the stool to pass, but it seems a little bit more generic. That's sort it of seems vague, a little general. I didn't, yeah. I didn't want to say lubricant. That's just gross. <laughs> We're getting, yeah. we're getting all of our all of our 50 cent words out there to uh, <laughs> turn everybody off. We are done talking about poop, or are we? We'll see what happens later. <laughs> Helen, what is our score at the end of that round? At the end of that round, Kristen Anderson Lopez has two points, and Robert Lopez has one point. Those scores are bound to change as we move on to questions about topics our guests have chosen for themselves. That's all up ahead, and we'll be come back on Go Fact Yourself. Hey, Helen, I don't know if you know this about me, but I've been doing a low-carb diet for a long time, and not just because I'm trying to be trendy with the whole keto thing, but my doctor actually told me that I had to get my blood sugar lower, which, of course, means eating fewer uh, carbs and sugars and unhealthy foods. People who are doing a low-carb diet probably know that one of the hardest things to find something to eat for is breakfast. And, man, do we have a great solution for you because if you've been trying to cut down on carbs, sugar, unhealthy food – You might think you can't have any of the good stuff anymore. Well, guess what? There's a great cereal, a low-carb cereal called Magic Spoon. And Helen, 
you have it in front of you. Tell us about some of the health benefits of this Magic Spoon. Magic Spoon has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only four net grams of carbs. Oh, thank goodness. I love those low net grams of carbs. (laughs) And only 140 calories in each serving. It's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, low-carb, and GMO free. Listen, it's all the freeze. It's all the freeze. But the flavors are bountiful and wonderful. And they are releasing two limited edition flavors Ooh. this month. Cookies and cream and maple waffle. Ooh. Man, if those flavors don't bring back memories from your childhood sugary cereals, I don't know what will. Uh, you can also just build your own box. They've got cocoa, fruity, frosted, peanut butter, and cinnamon. And I'm not kidding, people. I Ate them all very quickly and very happily. Well, I look forward to seeing what the cookies and cream taste like. That sounds amazing. Yes. I like both of those things, let alone together. <laughs> go to magicspoon.com slash gofact to grab the new limited edition cookies and cream, maple waffle, or a custom bundle of cereal to try it today. And be sure to use our promo code GOFACT at checkout to save $5 on your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product that it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. That's magicspoon.com slash gofact and use the code gofact to save $5. Five whole dollars. Thank Thank you, Magic Magic Spoon. Maximum Fun is a network by and for cool, popular people. But did you know it also has an offering designed to appeal to nerds? A show for nerds? On Maximum Fun? The devil, you say? It's true. It's called The Greatest Generation. And they review episodes of a television program for nerds called Star Trek. They've reviewed TNG, DS9, and are now reviewing Voyager. Hey, Star Trek. My daughter enjoys that program. Well, if she enjoys that, and she enjoys humor of the flatulent variety, might I recommend she subscribe to The Greatest Generation? Hey, are you calling my kid a nerd? Why, I oughta... Well, gotta go! Become a friend of DeSoto by subscribing to The Greatest Generation on MaximumFun.org today! Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself, where our score is Christian Anderson Lopez with two points and Robert Lopez with one point. Once again, here's J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Helen. All right, Kristen, of your many interests, you told us you know a lot about religious musicals from the 1970s and 80s, TV commercial jingles that aired in the tri-state area from 1981 to 1986, and symptoms of schizophrenia. Let's find out a little bit more about each of them. So specific. Oh, man. I'm I'm surprised we haven't done this combination before. (laughs) Let's find out a little bit more. Tell us why you chose religious musicals for the 1970s and 80s. When I was 14, my family moved from New York to Charlotte, North Carolina. And I was a kid who loved musical theater. And in those four years that I spent in Charlotte, North Carolina, I did Godspell twice. Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat and Jesus Christ Superstar. And so what about these musicals appealed to you that uh, makes you know so much about them? Um, I look at the moment that I moved to North Carolina. My mom was also pregnant with twins and I have a brother who is high-functioning autistic. Our family was like just shell-shocked and changing completely and Mm. I got cast in Godspell at Charlotte (laughs) Children's Theater And it was my saving grace. Being involved with that, with a bunch of kids who are like me, big musical theater, my tribe kind of kids, was Mm -hmm. the thing that just kept me 
anchored to myself. Godspell is actually one of my favorite musicals. And I used to sing it when I um, lived with my parents years ago. And my mom was so proud because she thought I was singing like hymns or something. <laughs> like she she legit thought I was singing like like religious hymns. You were. Like, oh my God. Yeah. And I'm like, I kind of am, even though I'm not. <laughs> it's not. I'm not approaching it that way. But yeah, yeah you can yeah. kind she of. She wouldn't have made that mistake with Jesus Christ Superstar, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to say, I, I grew up in a, in a Jewish secular home, and the closest we ever got to anything that wasn't that was being able to sing day by day uh, through the halls because <laughs> my dad loved musical theater, so I can I can relate to some degree. Next, Kristen, you said you know a lot about TV commercial jingles that aired in the tri-state area from 1981 to 1986. Well, I'm I'm a complete Gen Gen X kid who like my mom had just started going back to work. We walked home from school. And the first thing we did is we turned on WPIX. You could either turn on channel five or channel 11 in Westchester. <laughs> and that is what you did for the afternoon. It's and what, is, what was it about the commercials almost, that etched in your brain so much, do you think? Well, the, they, the were, repetition? they were so tuneful and mm. so melodic and memorable. Really great songwriters yeah. who would do that Coke is it or whatever yeah. um, to get some money real fast. And you made a lot of money, I I hear, on them too. All right. And then finally, you said you know a lot about symptoms of schizophrenia. Yes. <laughs> yeah. uh, I was. I played a lot of nuns in New Hampshire and I was like, this is, I can't do this forever. So I said, you know what? Let me take that, that psych major and that love for psychology. And I switched for like two years. I went and worked at the Bronx VA Hospital under Mount mm. Sinai with schizophrenic and schizoaffective patients. And my job was to do a what's called a sky pans um, or like basically chronicle and create a scale of positive and negative symptoms of schizophrenia. Ah, so this is your daily this is your daily bread as it were. Right. Well wow. just to determine whether someone could qualify to do these clinical trials for very very interesting well to summarize Kristen, you said you know a lot about religious musicals from the 1970s and 80s tv commercial jingles that aired in the tri-state area from 1981 to 1986 and symptoms of schizophrenia today we're going to quiz you about tv commercial jingles that aired in the tri-state area from 1981 to 1986 you seem very happy about that i was happy about that because it was going to be a depressing conversation if we were doing (laughs) positive and negative symptoms of schizophrenia Yes. No, we'll, we'll, we'll keep it a little lighter, uh, hopefully, in this. Uh, do you have any favorite uh, jingles from that time that uh, stick with you? There's some really moronic ones that are, but fun, like the honeycomb's big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not small. No, no, no. no, no. Uh-huh. Honeycomb's <laughs> got a yeah. big, big, big taste, big, big, big taste, and a big, big, big bite. bite. And I'm it looks kinda... like it influenced Bobby as well there. <laughs> oh, I, I know a lot of these too. Yeah. <laughs> I love um, Double Mint Gum. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the juicy fruit. Get your skis shined up. Get, take a stick of juicy fruit. The taste, <laughs> taste is gonna move, move ya. ya. Take yeah, a sniff. Pull it out. The taste, taste is gonna, gonna move you when you pop it in, in your mouth. Juicy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Kristen, just ahead, we're gonna enlist the help of a bona fide expert in your topic with our three-part question. But before that, to give you a chance to show off, here are five trivia questions about your topic each worth one point if you want it a lot a total of two hints in these five questions now robert do listen closely because you can steal if christian gets any of them wrong robert by the way how much do you know about tv commercial jingles that aired in the tri-state area from 1981 to 1986 you know i think i i think i know a fair number of them although I, i'm slightly younger than Kristen, so i might not know the 1981 oh ones. playing that up <laughs> I, I, was, I was also gonna say that uh 
he was busy learning an important skill like playing piano. Ah, okay. Um, ah. And I was busy dancing around. No, I listened to a lot of commercials. I watched a lot of TV. All right. Well, let's see if uh, she gives you a chance to uh, steal. I have to say, by complete coincidence, I have a feeling you're going to get these first couple ones just based on what you said some of your favorite jingles are. <laughs> Here we go. Question number one. Over 10 years, starting in 1985, twin sisters Linda and Lisa Yukubinis were featured in commercials for a chewing gum. Double mint gum. That double pleasure is waiting for you. What was this tantalizing product? <laughs> that would be the double mint gum. Ellen? Double your pleasure, double your fun with something double mint gum. Ellen? Um, <laughs> that is correct. That is, of course, correct. <laughs> The concept of the double mint twins date back to 1931, by the way, but Wrigley didn't start hiring actual twins until 20 years later. Uh, Helen, you were very surprised to learn that they actually sang the lyric, double pleasure is waiting for you. Double pleasure is waiting for you. That sounds so naughty. Oh, the commercials were naughty. There was one where these twins were walking in a bathing suit and they had a hat on and there were these two other guys who looked exactly like them. They were all just blonde with short hair and then their hats fly off into the guy's lap and then and you just And then know. they switched twins. <laughs> it was a magical time. Uh, <laughs> that is probably best that it's done. All right, that is a point for you. All right, question number two, and I swear we did not plan this. Say, Kristen, according to its jingle, what cereal is big? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's not it's small. Not small. No, 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 no. Why, that would be honeycomb. Oh, hold Jay on. Keith. Let me check with Helen to see if you're correct. <laughs> Helen? That is correct. That is, of course, correct. We did not plan that. You just happened to mention that was one of your favorites, and that was the question, too, that we had. Fun fact, an ad from the late 1980s using that jingle featured wrestler and Princess Bride star Andre the Giant. And if you think he could wrestle, wait till you see him sing. Uh, <laughs> wow. Again, you did not that. need the hint from that one, but Helen, if she had, what would that hint have been? Bees make these hexagonal shapes with their butts. Yes, they do. <laughs> All right, Kristen, now to a question that we do not know if you will know. Question number three. Kristen, McDonald's has had several memorable jingles. From 1988 to 1990, they used the jingle, Good Time, Great Taste. This was shortened from a longer slogan, a full sentence that was used in their jingle from 1984 to 1988. That sentence had 10 words. What was it? It's a good time for the great taste of McDonald's. Ellen? That is correct. That is, of course, correct. And now I'm hungry for a Big Mac. Here's a fun fact. I, Jay Keith, was in a McDonald's commercial and performed that jingle. <gasps> what? On Beatbox. What? what? No way. My, yep, that was my very first professional gig. Uh, also starring in that commercial was was the son of Willie Tyler, of Willie Tyler and Lester fame, uh, as well as a young Mayim Bialik. Mayim Bialik Whoa. and I were in a commercial right before wow. she did Beaches, and I was in high school, and I did that McDonald's commercial. Can we can we ask you to favor us with can a little you do beatbox? It? Yeah. Do it for I us. I will warn you, I am really bad. Uh, but apparently, when you think beatbox, you think, let's get a white kid with glasses wearing a sweater vest. <laughs> if you're McDonald's, you do. Yeah, if you're McDonald's at that point, yeah. No, it, would, it would pretty much was just like a... <laughs> like that kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah. you know what's not COVID-friendly? It was definitely beatbox. not. I think singing is not COVID-friendly. <laughs> Boy, it has just decimated the whole beatboxing. <laughs> that you are three for three, Chris, and here's question number four. 
Since 1971, a New Jersey-based grocery store chain has advertised an annual sales event using music adapted from an 1858 French opera. What is the name of the sale that it advertises? That would be the can-can sale. Now the shopper's got the can-can, now it's a can-can. Everyone is it kick 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 Yeah. That's how I learned the can-can song from the ShopRite commercials. That is correct. That is, of course, correct. Very, very nice. That original ad from ShopRite featured the music along with animated can-can ladies dancing on top of canned foods to that can-can song. It came from the 1858 French opera Orpheus in the Underworld. <laughs> wow, you were just motoring right through these. Here is question number five. You have a chance to go five for five. Kristen, the Oscar for Best Original Song is something that you and Bobby are familiar with. And if you watch TV in the tri-state area in the 1980s, or like me, Mets games on WOR, you were also familiar with the winner of the award from 1935, because that winning song was adapted into a jingle for a Manhattan hotel in an ad that ran a lot. What was the song and what was the hotel? Oh, you know this. I know exactly where it is. I know exactly where it is. I know it's on 9th. Or Eighth Avenue. Oh, why can't I think of it right now? Uh, you do have a hint available. I, I want you a, like hint. a hint. Can you give me a hint? We can. Helen, how about that first hint? The song was made even more famous when Jerry Orbach sang it on Broadway in the musical Forty Second Street. It's, it's the Forty Second Street. Um, no, I know this. I know this. When a Broadway baby says goodnight, a oh, goodnight baby. Uh, let's let's call it a day. Listen to the lullaby of old Broadway. Got it. Lullaby of Broadway. Helen. That is correct. That is correct. Unbelievable. The lullaby Amazing. of Broadway. Yeah, I thought I was going to get that one. That shows you the, the, the power of uh, music and lyrics. It uh, makes you remember and things. In the center of it, it all, it's the Milford Plaza. Plaza. Yep. Yeah. Robert, you knew it right away, oh, right? Yeah, you yeah, were yeah. like, let me answer it. <laughs> Fun fact, the song Lullaby Broadway first appeared in the 1935 movie Gold Diggers of 1935, then showed up again in several other movies and on Broadway in the musical 42nd Street. The Milford Plaza Hotel is now the Row NYC Hotel, on 8th Avenue, I believe, as you mentioned. All right, congratulations, Kristen. You are five for five. Woo! All those hours doing nothing. <laughs> Finally paying <laughs> off. All right, you obviously did very well, but now it is your expert level question that requires multiple answers. It is time for your cluster fact. We'll be bringing on an expert to assess your response. Kristen, many acclaimed songwriters, as you mentioned earlier, got their start writing ad jingles, and some of those jingles are still in use today. Listen to these two melodies that you heard in ad jingles in the 1980s, and then we'll ask you questions about them. Here is jingle number one. Here is jingle number two. And here is your question. For up to three points, what are the products that these jingles advertised and who is the Tony winning songwriter who wrote them? 
Well, she's one of my favorite people in the world and a mentor of mine. Um, it's Lynn Aarons, okay. and it's the the thicker, quicker picker-upper, and for a chocolate-covered ice cream, what would you do for a Klondike bar? All right, so Klondike bar, Lynn Aarons, and you actually did not give the product name in the, uh, in the other one. Oh, sorry, <laughs> Bounty. for a jingle. The Say Bounty, again, the quicker, thicker picker-upper, Bounty, right? Bounty. Okay. So you've got Klondike Bar, Bounty, and Lynn Aarons. Helen is taking note of those answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have tonight? Joining us tonight is a songwriter whose work has been heard in movies, TV shows, and on Broadway, and in dozens of commercial jingles. It's Tony winner, Lynn Aarons. Yay! Yay! Hi, Lynn! Hi, guys! I have nothing to add. That was <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. Isn't so, it amazing how your tunes and words stick in like I was I was this lazy 8-year-old who should have been out playing. I, and I see, <laughs> look at I've ruined another career. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh welcome Lynn. Uh, we're very happy to have you Thank here you. and as uh, as Kristen mentioned, you have a bit of a history with the Lopezes. Uh tell us about that and about the mentoring you do and how you know these two wonderful people. Kristen, I was very lucky because she landed in um the Dramatist Guild Fellows program when I happened to be running it and teaching it. And she was one of my students and she was this delicious bundle of talent, just a <laughs> hilarious girl. With so And I think at the time, Kristen, you were working on a very, very serious musical, weren't you? I was. It, it was, was so about, serious. Yeah. It was about prostitution yes. in New Orleans. It was, yeah. it was about Storyville. It was great. I mean, it was a wonderful musical, but it, it, I feel you've come into your own as who you are <laughs> since then. Yeah, I mean, there's still some good songs from there. And I, I actually, I don't know if Lynn knows this, but she was there on the panel for my audition for BMI, which was the workshop that I, I applied to and discovered I was a songwriter and met my husband. Right. And um, she was the only woman on a panel. And I had written a song about shaving my legs and taking a quiz. My second song was about taking a quiz in Cosmo magazine. There was a panel of guys that would have had no idea what I was talking about. Well, this was just a happy coincidence. I have to say, we did not know that you two knew each other or even had this relationship. We were just looking for the best expert out there on jingles, and uh, it turned out that uh, we had this in common. No, all the good people are friends. It's just... Oh, that's we're all, Yeah, it's true. Well, as if your praises are not being sung enough, Lynn, uh, just to let our listeners know, uh, on Broadway, of course, you were responsible before Ragtime, which won the Tony, Once on This Island. Uh, both have already had revivals on Broadway, uh, as well as uh, musicals like My Favorite Year, Rocky, Anastasia, Susical. You've been inducted into the Theater Hall of Fame. And I was interested in learning that Ragtime, in addition to all those awards, also had a song that made it into Aretha Franklin's repertoire. Uh, and she got to perform it all around the world, and I think even at the White House for a Nelson Mandela event. That must have been a real honor. How did that happen, that uh, Aretha discovered and decided to use that song? We have no idea. <laughs> <What's that mean? laughs> Boy, I, see, I really know how to do my research for to set up a good story, huh? I, I yeah, I will. The only, the only thing I don't know. She, we, we just discovered that she was singing our song, and she'd done it at Nelson Mandela's birthday party, and uh, it was stunning. The only thing was that when we heard it, she totally changed the words. So you know, perfect. she totally, I, I, you know, it's like something she sang. Um, your sword can be a snake or the power i don't know there was like yeah. it, was, it was all weird words thrown in there but he uh -oh. said oh it's aretha you know yeah, that's yeah. fine I would, think, I would think that's the correct the correct response <laughs> uh, yeah 
<laughs> you were working on a couple of projects that got interrupted by the pandemic as yes. well. Can you tell us about what those are and how far along were they in the process? Knoxville is the one we were working on in uh, Sarasota, Florida. Uh, in, in we were we had done three weeks of rehearsals. The actors had been fitted for their costumes. The sets were loading in. Mm. We had one foot on the stage and we were shut down. Wow. And there was another project as well uh, that you were working on called Marie, I understand. Marie. And Marie is a show that was done at the Kennedy Center. Uh, it had its West Coast premiere at the Seattle Fifth Avenue Theater. And it is, um, you know, circling over Broadway, the closed mm. Broadway, waiting, you know, for things to, to resume, unfortunately. But well, in addition to your work in the in the theater and on, and on film, a lot of our listeners might not realize that they've heard many of your songs because you were one of the writers who was instrumental in a educational series called Schoolhouse Rock. Yes, I was. I understand that you got that gig right out of college. Tell us about how you got involved with that and which uh, of the Schoolhouse Rock songs that you uh, participated in. When I uh, graduated from Syracuse University, I was a journalism major and I uh, came to New York. I had been uh, just been married, not to my current husband, but to my first husband of 10 months. I got hired as a secretary at a, an agency called McCaffrey and McCall, and they just happened to be producing Schoolhouse Rock. And um, as a secretary, you know, you type and you file and you get coffee and all that stuff, uh, you know, and I was doing all that, but I would bring my um, guitar in on my lunch hours and write songs, which is what I love to do. And one day somebody was passing my little cubicle and they, they stopped and they said, oh, by the way, I, I hear you write songs. Do you want to try one for Schoolhouse Rock? You know, ding. I said yes yeah. and uh, wrote a song. I wrote the, I think it was the preamble was the first one. And oh. um, I just kept writing them. They just kept buying them. And then I, at a certain point, I got some work with Captain Kangaroo. And then I thought, well, maybe I don't need a full-time job anymore. I can be a songwriter. And I quit the agency with sort of just a few songs to go on. I had a little reel. And one thing led to another. And Unbelievable. Your voice is on several of those. That's your oh, yeah. voice in the preamble. That's your yeah. voice in yeah. um, Interplanet, Interplanet Janet. Janet right? Yes, yes, I am Interplanet Janet. I can't hit that last note anymore. Though. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> when I am asked, you know, a trivia question, for instance, about the Constitution, I sing right. your song in my head to try to find, you know. Oh, my God. Oh my God. Justice and true domestic tranquility. <laughs> you know, all that, all that, all that stuff. Yeah. I know. I got a lot of people through high school. <laughs> you absolutely did. I'm so thankful for that. Yeah. You talked about how you got into writing uh, jingles. Tell us about some of the ones that you were involved with, uh, both in writing and in singing. Oh, my God. Uh, now I'm blanking. Budweiser and, and uh, baseball, hot dogs, apple pie and Chevrolet and all those, uh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I mean, the, these are the blue chip commercial the jingles. It's amazing chip. how many of them you were involved with. I know. With. I actually sang a Jello commercial. I used to sing a lot of kids commercials because I had a, you know, a sweet little voice. So I would get down on my knees and I would be the center of the, the singers and I'd be surrounded by a little circle of children. Um, one of whom is Donna Vivino, <laughs> who ended up in being in Les Mis. You know, Donna? You guys? Yeah. Like, yeah, she she was a little jingle singer kid. There were a lot of people who we've come to know the names of uh, now who got their start with you doing commercial jingles back then. Who were some of the people that you worked with then? I worked with, um, well, Mark Cohn, Darlene Love, Patty Austin, Luther Vandross, Paul Schaefer, Willie from Saturday Night Live. Um, they mm. were amazing musicians. Oh my God, a Lulu, you know, to serve with love. Oh, um, wow. Lulu. Wow. <laughs> Lulu. Yeah. I know it, her I, from AbFab. 
Yeah, from, you know, the, these, the, it was just that time when people just would come in. Michael Bolton's hair was out, you know, like a giant. I remember him. He was always flashing it around, sort of shaking his hair off his face. Um, it was just really fun. You never. Yeah, if you were gonna... if you were an up and coming songwriter or singer or singer songwriter, this is how you how you paid the bills during. That's that time. exactly right. That's exactly right. So I I was trying to write theater and doing jingles. You know. Yeah. Even. Sort of and, and you were successful team. in both. You got a couple of recent projects uh, that I know you wanted to talk about. There's an album that I think will be out by the time this drops, and then you're working on a book. Uh, tell us about both of those. Well, you know, it's funny because when we escaped from Florida uh, and I drove up the coast and came here, I was so thrown for a loop for a couple of months, just also because Terrence McNally died a week after I got home, um, who was a dear, dear friend and a collaborator. And, you know, it just really threw me for a loop. And I didn't I didn't have any music to write. You know, I just didn't have anything left in me to write. But I had begun a book of um, essays a number of years ago. I've been writing and publishing essays, and I, you know, had maybe published maybe 10 or 12 of them. And I suddenly found I had a lot to say in prose. Mm. So I wrote another 150 or 200 pages. I worked every day, all day. I never saw my husband. I was like, don't talk to me. I'm writing prose. And I, <laughs> and I finished a book. So, and I think it's good. Um, it's, it's a lot about my family and about theater and about, you know, the sort of the trials and tribulations of some of the shows that I've been through, like Susical, which, you know, was a, a hateful experience for a, mm. for a wonderful, delightful little show. It nearly killed, <laughs> killed me. Yeah. Um, and, you know, stuff like that. So there's a, there's a lot of, um, you know, just sort of fun experiences and, and personal experiences. And I finished a book. I love that you took the pandemic and you were like, you know, I'm just going to write a book. Meanwhile, I'm sitting here just eating potato <laughs> well, chips by the I, town. I was like doing just... that too, I must say. <laughs> oh, can I, can I ask a question? Kristen, Please. okay. Do, yeah. Do you know the, um, have you heard what's new? What's new? What's new? The brand new taste of? Do you know that one? Alphabets. Ah. Ah. Alphabets. Ah. Was that? They're brown sugar frosted, brown sugar frosted, brown sugar makes those crispy <laughs> letters made from oats. Golden, new, golden. You know what? I actually think I saw that today. I was doing a little brushing up and I saw that today uh -huh. and I was like, I don't know that one. And uh -huh. maybe it didn't play in the tri-state area between 4 and 7 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> the Klondike song is really amazing because... Who else would have gone, what would you do? Like, who else thought, oh, let's do a melisma on this word yeah. for a Klondike How did bar. you get that idea? It just came out of my soul. I don't You're know. saying the Klondike people didn't request a melisma? No, no. And if they, if they had, the word I, I learned about eight seconds ago? <laughs> what is that? You know, I'll tell you something funny about Klondike bar. I had to go back and re-record it many years after the first recording that I did because and here's what I had to re-record. For that chocolate-coated ice cream loaded, instead of that, I had to... I think I... Can I guess? Yes. Can I guess? Yes. Did you have to say, for the chocolatey? Yes. Stop using the chocolate? <laughs> yes! You're kidding. For that chocolatey-coated ice cream loaded. Because <gasps> it wasn't yes. real chocolate. Because they stopped using real chocolate? Yep. Wow. Good what? guess. Yes. Uh, can I get a point, Helen? 
That's very good. Sure, JK, sure. All right. There's so many great stories that we've been able to hear tonight, and uh, we'd love to hear more, but let's get to the reason that we brought you here as far as our game is concerned. Lynn, you heard the question that we asked of Kristen. We wanted her to identify those two commercial jingles and the Tony-winning songwriter who wrote them. Helen, what was the answer that Kristen gave for that first jingle? Kristen said bounty. And Ms. Aarons? You are correct. You guys are correct for the point. Congratulations. <sighs> what was the answer that she gave for that next jingle, Helen? Kristen said Klondike Bar. And? That is two for Kristen. Yay! Mm-hmm. Another it's two not fair, points. they know each other. Bobby, Bobby <laughs> is turning pale right now. Yes. Well, like, there's no way I can compete with this. Uh, well, well, I would. I don't know anything about his topics, so I can't steal. That's one Well, thing. you didn't give him a chance to steal, but uh, <laughs> let's see what happens. And then finally, as if it's not obvious already, who was that Tony winning? songwriter who wrote them. What did Kristen say, Helen? Kristen said Lynn Aarons. And who was it? It was me! It, it was her! her. <laughs> yes. I should have said National Treasure, Lynn <laughs> National <Aaron>. Treasure, yes. <laughs> Alright, we do have to uh, get going, but before we let uh, Ms. Aarons go, Kristen, is there anything you'd like to ask or say to our expert while we have her here? Well, I'm so excited that she wrote a book because uh, to me, the the most miraculous thing that about Lynn is that she was one of the first women to ever mm. be in the room where it happens. And so, and she, I know now about all the ups and downs that go on, especially when it's so hard to have a voice in a room full of people who aren't used to hearing women speak up. Mm. So I, I guess for those listeners out there and for me, how do you find ways to be heard when you feel like you can't be heard? Okay, I'm going to tell you something really silly. I lower my voice. How's that? <gasps> give it a give it a try. You don't say. Exactly. <laughs> but really, I think it comes down to just learning to be confident and to not apologize before you say something. Like, I don't know anything about music, but, you know, the melisma is not really working. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, you know. well, whatever you've done, it worked. You've created such wonderful <laughs> things in so many genres, and we're so delighted that you joined us tonight. Thank you. Lynn Ahrens, where can people find you and your work if they want to? www.ahrensandflaherty, all one word, ahrensandflaherty.com. Before you go, I have, I, I need to ask you this question because I'm dying to know. Because the, especially the Bounty Jingle and the Klondike Jingle are still playing today, do you get paid every time they air? You want to hear the sad news? Not anymore. I used to. And then they went and they recorded them in London or somewhere or Australia where they don't have to pay royalties to the Americans. No! Yeah, but it's okay. I had a few good years. Yeah, I would think so. Well, thank you for giving us a few good moments of your time. We appreciate it. Lynn Ahrens, everybody. Thank you, Lynn. It's so so nice to see your smiling face. I love you. See we you need soon. to see you soon. I know. Give your girls a hug for me, will you? I will. Yeah. Give your husband a hug for us. I shall. Okay. Bye, guys. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Darn, that's the end. Darn, that's Thank the you. end. Oh, man. <laughs> Congratulations, Chris Anderson Lopez. You had a perfect score in your round. What is our score at the end of that round, Helen? At the end of that round, Kristen Anderson Lopez has 10 points, and Robert Lopez has one point with a round of questions for Robert coming up. That's right. We're going to talk with Robert about a topic he knows about. Plus, later, Robert and Christian will go head-to-head in our Fast Facts round, all to find a winner on Go Fact Yourself. Hi. 
Hi, I'm Joe Firestone. And I'm Manolo Moreno. And we host After Game Show, a podcast where listeners submit games and we play them regardless of quality with a dozen listeners from around the world. We've had folks call in from as far as Sweden, South Africa, and the Philippines. Here's an example. This is a game we call Zooey Deschanel, where you turn a celebrity's name into an animal pun. You have an example, Manolo? Brad Gorilla Pit. Oh, that's a pun on Gorilla Pit? Yep. I don't know. That's, that's Brad Pitt. Oh, okay. That's a high-quality game that you yeah. could expect. Dr. Game Show has new episodes every other Wednesday on Maximum Fun. Check us out, please. Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself, where our score is Kristen Anderson-Lopez with 10 points and Robert Lopez with 1 point. Once again, here's J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Helen. All right, Robert, you got your work cut out for you here, but uh, let's find out. I won. I won. (laughs) (laughs) You're just declaring yourself the winner. I am the winner. It It was rigged. That sounds familiar. I can't quite place it now, though. <laughs> Robert, of your many interests, you told us you know a lot about the TV show Mystery Science Theater 3000, the making of the movie The Godfather, and the history of hamburgers. Let's find out a little bit more about each of those. First, tell us why you chose the TV show Mystery Science Theater 3000 for one of your topics. Well, it was one of my favorite shows uh, growing up. My brother and I would just watch it late at night when our parents thought we were asleep. Um, <laughs> and um, we would just record them off the air and watch the tapes again and again. And um, I actually got a chance to work on the show when they brought it back for Netflix a little bit. And, oh, wow. Um, what did you do on that? I wrote a song and I wrote, um, I was able to help them riff one episode, which was fun. Oh, that's so fun. <laughs> you also said you know a lot about the making of the movie The Godfather. Well, that's just from, you know, being a regular Godfather fan like everybody else. And I, I have the DVD and I, the thing that I'm addicted to is watching it with, the uh, commentary track on. Wow. So I just listened to Francis Ford Coppola over and over to again and tell sleep. the same stories. Yeah, I, well, not even to go to sleep. So I'll, I, it's hard to sleep because it's such a great, it's such a great director's commentary track. I mean, he's the greatest, it's the greatest movie by the greatest director and the greatest commentary track. Yeah, I mean, mm. how can you sleep through that horse head scene? You know, <laughs> it's not, yeah. it's not con- Especially it's not- knowing they had to go pick the horse from the glue factory. <gasps> oh no, it wasn't the glue factory. It was the the dog food factory. They selected oh, the I don't know horse. if that's better. Yikes. <laughs> well, yeah. then then after that, then all these um all these um animal activists got up in arms yeah. and had to be told that it was the it was a it horse was going that to was be killed anyway. Going to be killed for dog food that they would then feed their dog. I'm, I'm sure that calmed everybody down. <laughs> uh well Hopefully not speaking of that, you also said you know a lot about the history of hamburgers. Here's what happened. We moved to Brooklyn about 10, 12 years ago, and we moved to this building where one of our neighbors was literally a hamburger expert. And he was, um, he was, uh, he, he taught a class at Columbia all about hamburgers. What? And I you was can, really interested wait, in hamburgers. Wait, you can take a class at Columbia about hamburgers? <laughs> well, I never verified it, but he's, he seemed very assured that I think it, it's that he true. Was, yeah, I think it was yeah, true. And you can minor in fries. <laughs> Um, so I, I don't know. And, I, and then I started to make burgers in the way that I was taught by this neighbor friend of mine. And I've I've been developing it ever since. And I, I people in my life say that I, I make really good He burgers. makes the best burgers. <gasps> I can't have burgers really anywhere else now. 
Well, that's not true, but I <laughs> I don't like them as much as I like wow. the burgers that Bobby wow. makes. We don't have time to go through the whole process of it, but can you give us one one tip that makes them so good? Well, it's it's you've ever heard of the Smash Burger? Yes. chain. It's it's that it's a variant on that. It's a they're smaller. It's a slider, uh, mm-hmm. and it's really it was the technique. In New Jersey, the New Jersey slider. So you, you have a wad of meat that is freshly ground. You put it on a flat top. You smash it down. And just a minute and a half on each side, salt. And, and the smashing, I think, helps to sear it and kind of get yeah, the, helps. the fat caramelized, that kind of a thing. But it's oh, never yeah. touched yeah. by human hands. And oh. he, he grinds it himself. I used to sometimes. grind it myself. I used to. Yeah. I don't have time for that anymore. And then you got the human <laughs> hands caught in the grinder. And that was <laughs> All right. So to summarize, Bob, you said you know a lot about the TV show Mystery Science Theater 3000, the making of the movie The Godfather, and the history of hamburgers, each of which, by the way, I think would make for an excellent musical if you're looking for inspiration. <laughs> Tonight, we're going to quiz you about... The TV show Mystery Science Theater. All right. Yay. Do you have a favorite one or a favorite couple? <laughs> I think my favorite is the short Mr. B Natural. I mean, it's it's about music. It's wacky and it's so funny. Um, but I, I love so many of them. He, he uh, made me watch Manos Hand of Fate. Oh, yeah. I made her watch a lot, a lot of Manos. <laughs> I love Manos. I love Mitchell. There's a lot uh, there. There's a lot. Well, of just them. ahead, we're going to enlist the help of a bona fide expert in your topic to test your mastery in your subject with an expert level question worth up to three points. But before that, to let you show your love, here are five trivia questions about your topic, each worth one point. If you want it, you're allowed to hint for two of these five questions. Now, Kristen, do listen closely because if Bobby answers incorrectly, <laughs> you can steal. Kristen, by the way, how much do you know about the TV show Mystery Science I, Theater 3000? Now, I, I used to know a lot more when I was in college. I wasn't as in love with it as he was. Okay. Um, <laughs> but, but some I of it do. might have absorbed in. We'll see. But if you know what? The, yeah. One of the things she can do for me to show her love is to watch yeah. one with me. It's true. It's how I. It's one of those ways that, like buying flowers, I can be like, <laughs> oh, that's we can your watch. love language. Your love exactly. language uh-huh. is mystery <laughs> science. His love three. language is mystery. Wow, <laughs> that's so romantic. <laughs> I would love to see that on a Valentine's card. Uh, all right, Bobby. Here's your quiz question number one. While Mystery Science Theater 3000 began on a local UHF station in Minnesota, most Americans discovered it a year later on a new cable channel. The channel began airing on November 15, 1989. Three days later, MST3K debuted nationally on the network. What is or was this channel? I think it was originally called the Comedy Channel, and then it became Comedy Central. Helen? That is exactly right. That is exactly right. Yes, one point for Bobby. The Comedy Channel merged with another comedy channel called Ha and became the Comedy Central that we know today. That is a point for Bobby. Here's question number two. The mad scientists who subject Joel to bad movies were often headquartered in a complex of two buildings, a taller one and a shorter one. The shorter one had a very specific shape. What was the shape of this building? Well, it was called Deep 13. It was also Gizmonic Institute. I think Gizmonic Institute was the shorter building in the shape of a G. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. Yes. Like the letter G. <laughs> I, oh, I never really wow. understood the, diff, the, the relation between Deep 13 and Gizmonic Institute. I wasn't quite sure. Maybe we can find that out later. Maybe can we I, can. Can I please give the hint? Yes, you did not need the hint, but I know Helen was eager to give it to you if what you had was it? it. Helen, what would that hint have been? Without this shape... You would have written the song, Let It O. Oh, that's a good one. Thank you. I could have gotten that one (laughs) with the hint. (laughs) All right, question number three. There were lots of bad movies featured on the show. One of them received 0% on Rotten Tomatoes, but the MST3K riff of it made it so popular that it spawned three sequels and a video game. 
what is the title of this 1966 Texas-made movie that is considered by many to be the best worst movie screened on the show? Manos, Hands of Fate. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. <laughs> the aforementioned Manos, Hands of Fate. You are three for three, Bobby. Why, why is it so available. awful? Why is it so good and bad? Well, it was it was made by a by someone that had never made a movie or probably seen a movie. It was just it seemed I think it had been made on a on a bet. And th- there's a depressingness to it, just a a sort of um sadness yeah. to it. And I think that I read about the movie and there was something sad about it. Someone someone died. Oh. Um, Oh. Not during it, but but afterwards. Do you think it influenced um, when they were creating the orcs in the two towers, <laughs> and they had those white, yes, yes, white. That's a great print? question. That I would. I mean, Peter Jackson definitely knows Manos. Peter Jackson, right? Peter Jackson, <laughs> if you're listening, let us know if yes, you got the hand know. on the what head of the orcs from Manos' yes. hands of the, fate. The Uruquai. Yeah, the Uruquai. Yes. Yeah. yes, the white hand. Okay. Yes. You know, they say the couple that nerds together stays together. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Bobby, here's question number four. If one bad movie featuring a crazy character versus another was good, then many were even better. That might explain why there were several movies on the show that had Gamera in the title. Name two of these titles that began with Gamera versus blank. Okay, hmm. Gamera versus Giron, that's one of them. (laughs) Um, What's the other one? Gamera versus... Oh, boy. I think I need a hint. All right, Helen, how about that first hint? Two of the titles featured characters whose names start with the letter one of the buildings is shaped like. You know, I don't know this one. I think... Um, Could it be Gameron versus Godzilla? No, I was. That's what I was going to just guess. I was just but of course, she's your competition. Is she trying to throw you off the path? That's what I would have guessed, even if she hadn't said it. Okay, so again, give, give both of your answers, please, together. Gamera versus Giron and Gamera versus Godzilla. Helen? That is not correct. No, I'm terribly sorry. Kristen with a chance to steal. <laughs> she doesn't know. I have no idea. Um, Gamera versus um, God. <laughs> that I would like to see. That would be a good movie. Helen, Gam- is it Gamera versus God? No, it is not. No, I'm terribly sorry. Uh, we, we can give you a half a point, I believe, for Gamera versus Giron, but the others were Gamera versus Baragon or Barugon, mm. Gamera versus Gaos or Gaos, and Gamera mm. versus Zigron. Yes. Ooh. I think I, I do know that Baragon, I think he was the one with a really tall knife head. I will take your word for it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right, so a half point there. Let's see if you can bounce back for question number five. You do still have a hint available. As a songwriter, I'm sure you pay attention to the songwriting credits. The love theme from Mystery Science Theater 3000 had lyrics co-written by Joel Hodgson and Josh Weinstein, and the music was composed by Joel Hodgson and who? I don't know. I'll I'll take that second hint. Yes. Helen, how about that second hint? The composer's DJ name is Chuck Love, and he shares a last name with the child of a famous red Viking. Charles Erickson? Helen? That is correct. That is correct. <laughs> Excellent use of the second hint. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> I would not have gotten Crazy. that. Kristen, very impressed, as are we. All right, you did very well in that round, Bobby, but now here is your expert level question that requires multiple answers. It is time for your cluster fact. Ooh. We'll be bringing on an expert to assess your response. 
Bobby, characters on MST3K were forced to watch bad movies because they were held captive by mad scientists. Well, one main mad scientist and his various assistants over the years. For up to three points, who played the mad scientist on most episodes, who played his assistant for the most seasons, and who played him as an elderly man in one episode? So um, the main mad scientist, uh, Dr. Clayton Forrester, played by Trace Beaulieu. Okay. Um, his assistant for the most episodes, his, his original assistant was, uh, was Dr. Lawrence Earhart, played by Josh Weinstein, J. Elvis Weinstein. The one that had, for the most episodes, was TV's Frank, played by Frank Conniff. Mm-hmm. Now, who played him as an old man? Hmm. That is the third part. That's the, the third question. question. I'm not sure about that one. Maybe... Who's the guy from um, Back to the Future? <laughs> he always oh, plays a man. No, 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 no. From the no. other uh, contestant. Uh, it's well, very, she, it's she's very lovely. Trying. She's, she's, she feels bad because she's going to whip my ass. I'm trying to help him. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Um... I, I would have thought that that Mike Nelson could have done it all um, in because he liked to wear a lot of makeup. Maybe it was Mike Nelson. I'll go with Mike Nelson. And Mike Nelson. Okay. Helen is taking note of those answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. In fact, we have two experts. Helen, who do we have tonight? Joining us tonight are two of the stars and writers of Mystery Science Theater 3000. It's Trace Beaulieu <gasps> and Frank Conniff. Oh, my God. Trace and Frank, hi! Hello. Oh my God, Hello. I can't believe I'm meeting you guys. I can't believe we're meeting you. This is very yeah, exciting this is awesome. for us. And thank you for putting the honeycomb song in my head. <laughs> <laughs> but I, but this is uh, this is not what I expected. I was under the impression that I was being brought on as an expert on hamburgers. Oh, well, if you have anything to share on that, please let us know. <laughs> I, I like to eat hamburgers. Oh, That's wow. It. Wow, the expertise. But are they touched by human hands? Because if they are, you're doing it yeah, right. i got to learn about this hamburger thing because uh, <laughs> I'm having hamburgers tonight is right after the show. Charboiled hamburger sandwich, French fried potatoes yes, garnish. with French, French man, fried this, potatoes, yeah. That is, that, this man is a fan, let me tell you. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a deep pull. <laughs> That's a deep pull, absolutely. Uh, well, welcome both of you for being here, and uh, welcome back to Frank. Frank, you actually were a guest on our show a few episodes ago, and uh, we've had people go from experts to guests like Bobby and Kristen. You are our first guest to then become an expert. Uh, yeah, and it's I was very excited to be asked back. And by the way, um, uh, I claim to be a uh, knowledgeable about JFK and the Kennedys, and the expert wrote a Pulitzer Prize winning biography, which I am now reading, and it is absolutely fantastic. Oh, lovely. It's, well, a great, it's, the, a, it's a great book. Thank you yeah. for the follow-up. Yes, that was Dr. Frederick Logoval. Now, Frank, since then, I believe you you yourself have had a book released. Tell us about that. I have. Well, oh my God, I happen to have a copy right what here. What are the <laughs> uh, It's my new uh, book. It's You're Ruining the Dystopia for Everyone, <laughs> and it's a book of linked short stories. It's a very dark, funny book. People who've read it so far are giving me great feedback about it. So, oh, that's wonderful to check hear. Check that out. And now, uh, Trace, you and Frank have been doing these shows, The Mads Live, which we were doing as live presentations of, of riffing on movies. And then you've segued that into doing uh, Zoom shows. You guys actually are coming from a rehearsal tonight. I'm wondering, what what does a rehearsal for a live riffing show look like? How is that different than what people are going to actually see? Well, uh, it's it's very much like the show that you will see. Uh, hopefully, this was the tech, you know, dress rehearsal. Oh, okay. Although, we, we, we have no costumes. <laughs> uh, but we just like to do one more rundown uh, with a few people listening to see if, like, uh, our mics are okay and if 
uh, if the jokes are funny so yeah. that we can scurry off and make the show better by tomorrow <laughs> night. That's very noble of you. For the theater people here, it's it's like opening in a New Haven. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for putting it in terms that uh, Bobby and Christian will understand. There's yes. no theater right now. How Are you doing a live show? Look, are... No, it's, no, it's, no on, more it's live over, shows. The, over the internet. Oh. We're not doing live shows. Yeah. Um, we're, we're doing them over the internet. So it's a live and... stream. You're, 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 yes, live stream. you're riffing right. on it yeah. in real Zoom. time as people yeah. are watching this movie with you yes yeah. it's a live live show done the third uh tuesday of every month and and people have been really enjoying it oh well let's talk about mystery science theaters 3000 on the show of course trace you played dr forrester and operated in voice crow i read that forrester yes. was actually based on someone from your comedy club days we we would point the finger at a lot of people that were oppressive mm. uh, as we were coming through the comedy clubs and i don't know if i based it all on on those evil people <laughs> uh, but there was enough there to, to to add some evil there was a lot of angst and we all contributed to that you know because we'd all been treated shabbily <laughs> at, at one point or another so it's like the ultimate bad boss yeah he was you can't get worse than that you know if, if you're shooting employees into space and you're not elon musk then you know you're a bad guy <laughs> oh wait is he and Frank, you were responsible for discovering many of the movies that ended up being yes. on the show. I read that you said, you said uh, I think I was given the job because everybody else was busy with other stuff. I wasn't sure if you were kidding or not. <laughs> no, I wasn't kidding at all because, because, because everyone else on the show had another skill besides writing and performing. Mm -hmm. Like Trace is, is great at designing things mm -hmm. and building things, as is Joel. Kevin oh, wow. Murphy, the first year, was actually the editor of the show. He was in the editing room. Uh, Mike Nelson was composing the music. Um, my only talent was for watching TV. So, uh, Me so too. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing that both you and Kristen were able to parlay that into something uh, profitable. Yes. I'm still working on that. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's amazing. And, and so um, when we decided that someone would look through the movies first mm -hmm. and pick them out, I was the one who was available for that job and well-suited for it. And you were all... Talking about man as the hands of fate, um, that is that was my gift to the world. I was the wow. person that... Where did you find it? It was in a box of tapes that Comedy Central used to send us from various distributors, snuff filmmakers, <laughs> you know, people no. like that. Put Manos in the uh, VCR machine and um, that was it. You know, wow. I recommended it to everybody and... And now I, it's, I'm like Carlo in The Godfather. I have to answer for it. <laughs> Again, thank you for putting that in terms of Bobby. <laughs> yes. Why do you think Manos' Hands of Fate took off the way that it did? Um, I think it's because what Bobby was saying about it was very true. It's, it's, it has its own very unique vibe to it. It's extremely depressing. It's like no filmmaker who tried to get that vibe could mm. get that vibe. You know, it just comes through. You know, and now we're friends with uh, the daughter of the guy who made, the, she wrote a book about the film. Hmm. You know, the film has a life all its own and um, I'm to blame for that. I'm sorry. <laughs> wow. And it's so funny that you guys, it's the only film where Dr. Forrester and Frank each apologize yes. in secret yes. from the other yes. to, to Joel and the bots for this movie. Yeah, we actually <laughs> apologize for how bad, which is very out of character. But The show ended up winning a Peabody Award at some point. What was that like? You know, we went to the ceremonies in, in uh, Athens, Georgia, and it was very surreal to be surrounded by all these really serious, 
broadcasters and and people making documentaries about extremely serious mm-hmm. subjects and things that actually mattered to people's lives <laughs> and then we showed an episode where mm-hmm. we're making fun of a, a small person getting over a fence and it was like <laughs> <laughs> you know the the ballroom was uh, a, i think appreciative of of a little levity at yeah. that point but uh, just a, a a very surreal thing to go through and and to be honored like yeah. that was just amazing i watched the video of your of, of the acceptance week you guys all went on stage with uh, with the robot characters yeah yeah we we kind of brought those everywhere with us because we're very lonely. <laughs> just to make sure you got recognized should we bring yeah. out ours we, we right will... now I, i'm tempted to go in the other room and and bring out tom servo oh, you have your own i, I have a tom servo you, yes we definitely need room. to see that uh, i feel uh, I, sorry I thought, everybody I, has a Tom. I, I thought you were gonna uh, bring out um your peabody because you've had that yeah yeah no that's, that's no, no, the no, one that you, have... that's eluded you so far we, we, we uh, yeah, he doesn't doesn't yet have a pea guy yes <laughs> Yes. No. Sorry for bringing up such a sore subject there, Bobby. <laughs> I will sell you mine if you'd like. <laughs> oh, I'll trade that. that for one of your outfits. Kristen is coming into the room with the, uh, uh, the Tom Servo robot. Perfect. Tell wow. us about that. Well, this is this. I I feel a little bad that I don't have a crow since we're 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 talking to crow right now. A crow is harder to fit in the door, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> crow doesn't sit up well. He's got this odd upper body. He's he's very. Tom uh, sits on a shelf. Like a, like an, yeah. yeah, that's very understanding like of you, Trace. We appreciate that. <laughs> this is so fun. Let's get to the reason that we brought you here as far as our game is concerned. You heard the question that we asked to Bobby. First, we want to know who played the mad scientist on most episodes of Mystery Science Theater 3000. Helen, what did Bobby say? Bobby said, Trace Beaulieu. And Trace? I can't deny that. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like a recount, but... <laughs> that is correct for the point. Very good, Bobby. Next, we Yay. want to know who played his assistant for the most seasons. Helen, what did Bobby say? He said Frank Conniff. And Frank? Uh, I believe that's true. I mean, I, I was there for five years, yeah. but... Uh, I mean, you're more you of know, an expert were, on hamburgers, were... I understand, but you can say that, uh, yes. that, is, that is correct. In fact, yeah. TV's Frank's uh, backstory, because, you know, we were really into mm-hmm. developing the character in a really deep way. Uh, <laughs> his backstory was that he worked at Arby's, which was based on my real-life backstory that I worked at Arby's. Very so. good. All right, well, that's another point yeah. for Bobby. All right, and then finally, we wanted to know from Bobby who played that scientist as an elderly man in one episode. Helen, what did Bobby say? Bobby said Mike Nelson. And Trace? Oh, no, not at no, all. No, I'm not sorry. Who close. did play that role? That was my father, Jack <gasps> Bullion. Oh, wow. That would have been. We got him because we we didn't have to pay him. <laughs> <laughs> what a heartwarming father and son story. It? That must have been very bonding <laughs> for you. Now, what, what was that like yes. to, to have your dad come and play you as an older man? Very odd. You know, and, you know, it's like, yes, dad, this is what I do for a living. Uh, <laughs> and it, it was also the last episode we did in season, what was that, seven? The last episode we did and had like a rap party at the same time. So we're still shooting and uh, Jeff Stonehouse, the director of photography, and I are in the other room finishing up while there's a party going on. And we missed the party because we're still shooting that last stuff. Yeah, that's a weird choice to uh, have a rap party before you've rapped. I, yeah, you know, it's like, uh, let's do this while they're still working so then they don't have to come. Yes. <laughs> you still ended up doing quite well in that quiz, Bobby. While we have our experts, Trace and Frank here, Bobby, is there anything you'd like to ask or say? Just overwhelmed to be with you right now. It's just, uh, um, so I, I, I will offer you this total speechlessness 
for you to enjoy. <laughs> well, um, this is my love language. This is my gift to you. I'm going to be very lucky tonight, I suspect. Oh, yeah. oh wow. <laughs> Wow. Is there going to be no. role playing that we need to be concerned about? <laughs> <laughs> That's what the Tom Servo's for. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, uh... we've got Moby Sun. <laughs> Frank and Trace, if people want to find out more about you and your work, uh, where can they do that? I'm not on social media, so you have to follow Frank, and then he'll he'll send me notes. Right. And I'm uh, all over Twitter uh, at Frank Conniff and um, Instagram at F Conniff and. Um, uh, go and I think that we have a website too, themadserback.com. Yep, themadserback.com uh, plus our Facebook page. So there's there's tons of ways to find us. Mm-hmm. Excellent. I kind of am on Facebook and Twitter, but I like to say I'm not because it's cool. Yes. Well, <laughs> what's really cool is the fact that you joined us tonight. We're so grateful to uh, have you, Trace Bouillou and Frank Conniff. Thanks for being here, guys. Hey, this was a thrill, for, a thrill for us. Believe me, to, to meet you guys. Oh, it's such, absolutely such huge an fan, honor. Huge fans. Yeah. Well, Lovely. you guys, you guys are our favorite. One of our favorite activities when I'm trying to please Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> well, right. We'll be there next Tuesday. Let's 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 see them. Let's let's see their thing. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. please do. All right, Helen. What is our score as we go into the final round? At the end of that round, Kristen Anderson Lopez has ten points, and Robert Lopez has seven and a half points. All right, now it is time for our final round we call Fast Facts. I'll read 10 statements, and each contestant will answer with true or false. I'll start with Kristen and alternate between each guest. Each correct answer is worth one point. Again, the answer to each statement is true or false. Here we begin. Kristen, the Baseball Hall of Fame is located in Alaska. False. Correct. That's right. It's in New York. Bobby, Babe Ruth is in the Baseball Hall of Fame. True. Correct. Kristen, there is a Baseball Hall of Fame player named Lefty. True. Correct. Yeah, in fact, there are two. Bobby, there's a Baseball Hall of Fame player named Righty. True. Incorrect. No, nope, uh. just lefties. Kristen, <laughs> there's a Baseball Hall of Fame player named Pud. True. Correct. Yep, Pud Galvin. What a name. <laughs> Bobby, there's a Baseball Hall of Fame player named Heine. True. Correct. Heine Manouche. Kristen, there's a Heine Manouche. Guys, if you need a song title, <laughs> Kristen, there's a Baseball Hall of Fame player named Pee Wee. True. Correct. That's right, Pee Wee Reese. Bobby, there's a Baseball Hall of Fame player named Kiki. True. Correct. Kiki Kyler. Kristen, there's a Baseball Hall of Fame player named Judy. False. Incorrect. Ah. Judy Johnson is in the Hall of Fame. Bobby, there's a Baseball Hall of Fame player named Nellie. True. Correct. Nellie Fox. (laughs) Kristen, there's a Baseball Hall of Fame player named Kristen. False. Correct. Bobby, there's a Baseball Hall of Fame player named Helen. False. Correct. Kristen, there's a Baseball Hall of Fame player named Jake Heath. False. Correct. And finally, Bobby. What about Jake Heath Hernandez? Yes. (laughs) Not in the Hall of Fame and not a J, but other than that. And finally, Bobby, there's a Baseball Hall of Fame player named Bobby. True. Yes, there's a bunch of them. All right, we're not going to count those last few. Those were just for fun. But we do want to thank Kristen Anderson Lopez and Bobby Lopez as Helen tabulates the final score. Helen, are you ready to reveal the final score in tonight's episode? I am. At the end of the game, Kristen Anderson Lopez has 14 points and Robert Lopez has 11 and a half points. <laughs> wow, a very high scoring game. But congratulations, Kristen Anderson Lopez. You are the facting champion. Wow. Oh, well. Congratulations, honey. You know what, honey? The depth of your knowledge. I think really surpasses. Uh, I, I think you, sh- you, you <laughs> no, should no, no. feel like a you winner. Should, you should enjoy this moment. I, this moment is about you. I, I, but I want you to feel like a winner too, because <laughs> I feel like a winner. You crying. know some stuff about your about Mystery Science Three Thousand. That was deep cut stuff that you knew. <laughs> 
So you should feel really proud. Aw, thank you. She's, <laughs> she's very nice. She is very nice. Kristen, what will you do with your championship? Oh, I'm going to lord it over him for the next, <laughs> until the next. There we go. That's better. That's better. I appreciate that. Until the next all podcast. Right. Uh, <laughs> all right, Kristen and Bobby, where can people find you and your work? Well, you can find our work on Disney+. Plus. If you tune in to WandaVision, you can look out for the movie The Prince and the Dressmaker. Um, hopefully, when Broadway comes back online, you can see Bobby's uh, wonderful musical, The Book of Mormon. And um, what else? Uh, talk, talk about your... I'm not on social media at all anymore, um, but Kristen is. Yes, you can find me on Twitter at LyraChris, the number 10. So Lyra Kristen. Um, and I mostly show pictures of my daughter's photography of her own cat. <laughs> I will be following you just for that reason. Well, I have to say, as accomplished uh, as you are in your work, you are as gracious and lovely to spend time with. We thank you so much for joining us. Christian Anderson Lopez and Bobby Lopez, thank you for being with us. Thank you. This was Thanks. so much fun. Oh, so glad to hear Thanks, that. Helen. Ladies and gentlemen, my hosting partner is Ms. Helen Hong. Helen, where can people find you and your work? Hey, uh, I'm on a show called The Unicorn on CBS, uh, CBS All Access. The first season is on Netflix right now, and you can follow me on the socials at funny Helen Hong, because that other Helen Hong, she's not funny. Nope. No, she Follow is not. Follow the funny one. <laughs> yes, that is correct. She is funny. She is Helen. She is Hong. She is funny, Helen Hong. Uh, and me, vote for me for Neighborhood Council if you're in the Los Angeles <laughs> area. Go to my Twitter at J underscore Keith, and I'm sure I'll have some info there about how you can do that. Uh, you can also follow me on Instagram at jkeith.net, all spelled out. Uh, that just leaves me to thank Kristen Anderson Lopez, Robert Lopez, Lynn Ahrens, Frank Conniff, Trace Beaulieu. Please like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, all at GoFactorPod. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Update our wiki at GoFactorWiki.Fandom.com and buy our T-shaped shirt at MaxFunStore.com. I'm J. Keith Van Stratton. Good night. Like what you hear? Come see us live. Someday. Oh, boy, do I hope. It's free. Go to GoFactorPod.com for our schedule and tickets. And give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts like Royan 1208 did. He, she, or they said this will at least leave you laughing in confusion once per episode. Thanks, <laughs> Royan 1208 Ha, ha, ha. Huh? Ellen? <laughs> Go Fact Yourself is a panel quiz program devised and produced by Jim Newman and J. Keith Van Stratton and comes to you via transcription from various homes across the country. Questions on Go Fact Yourself were compiled by the Trivia Industrial Complex. It is produced in collaboration with Maximum Fun. Go Fact Yourself's theme song and incidental music were written and performed by Jonathan Green. Maximum Fun's senior producer is Laura Swisher. Associate producer, engineer, editor, and I think secretly Batman, is Julian Burrell. Special thanks to Craig Shemin, Raven Snook, Tavia Odenak, Christian Malmeen, Fred Roos at FR Productions, Lake J. Harris, George Motz, Brandon J. Carr, Clint Tauscher, Mike Avellanos, Adam Needif, Dave Bianchi, Erich Tran, and Christine Vallada. I've been Helen Hong! Let's go watch MST3K! And TV commercials from the 80s! And WandaVision! Yes, WandaVision! MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.